Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach and Adam. You know what I love? Um, pl- playing with toys? <laughs> Actually, I'm not going to say yes because I don't get specific joy out of the act of playing with toys. Mm. I'm not a collectibles person. We've talked about this. I do like playing with toys with my son. There you go. Uh and I figured we should do a whole episode about toys and the weird time in the 80s where Marvel just made a bunch of toy comics and said, <laughs> but yes, the X-Men can show up in these. Yeah, these are some very strange titles, um, but I, I feel like we could use some extra help here on this episode. What do you think? We absolutely could. In fact, because these are going into the vaults, we need a historian here uh, and we've got one of the best. Uh, you may know his work from the website, uh, The Real Gentleman of Leisure, and also here on Comics XF, it's Austin Gordon. Austin, what's hey, up? Hey, hey guys. <laughs> it is a uh, honor and a pleasure to be here. Well, we're happy to have you, bud. Yeah, this thanks is, for being on. This is fun. Yeah, this is, this is great. I have been listening to you guys for uh, for a, a long while now, so it is super fun to be on uh, this this side of the uh, the microphone. <laughs> and there's not even that weird parasocial thing because you've already been like working with us for right, exactly. like a year. However yeah, long Hellion, however yeah, long however Hellion's, long Hellion's, Hellion's on, has yeah. been around, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's uh, it's interesting. Now, for folks who don't know, uh, you've been running Real Gentlemen of Leisure for a <laughs> while. <laughs> I think I did the math recently. It's it's over a decade at this point. Wow. I think I'm coming up on 11 or 12 years, something like that. Yeah. Because I, I knew that that was like a benchmark, a legacy place, a great repository of information back when I started what was Xavier Files uh, years ago. Uh, so I think it's it's a, it's a fun little small world of comics that all that is uh, combining here. But you've been going through issue by issue of like – Every X-Men thing ever? <laughs> yep. Every every issue of X-Men and all of their spinoffs and most of their at least notable uh, guest appearances chronologically. So I started with uh, X-Men number one in the Silver Age, and I am thick in the middle of Onslaught as of Ooh. this recording. Ooh. Yeah. Hey, we're not going to make you talk about <laughs> Onslaught. We are going to make you talk about some weird stuff. <laughs> This is this is some weird stuff. And to your credit, uh, only one of these things had I previously read and reviewed uh, oh. prior to looking into them for uh, for this episode. So that was that was fun to go back into uh, some of the older that older era and read some X Men guest appearances that I had not partaken of before. Yeah, these are I think definitely some obscure things, at least to me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, part of it's obscure because. Uh, the majority of these issues cannot legally be reprinted by no. the Marvel Comics group. Nope. That is true. The other part that I always love about these kind of issues is, like, the, that Claremont-era X-Men crossover tie-in, like, guest appearance stuff. Especially in, like, the late 70s, early 80s, before, like, everyone knew what to do with the X-Men it was just this weird thing, and we've got three very weird appearances of X-Men stuff here, uh, and we have those thanks exclusively to Patreon supporter April Arcus. April went on over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, threw a few dollars in our coffers, and said, folks, I would love for you to talk about these weird toy tie-in <laughs> comics. Uh, that that kind of money supports all of the writers, uh, podcasters, editors, everything that we do over on Comics XF. Uh, and if you want to be just like April, uh, you can go on over there. And there's a bunch of good rewards, including having a whole episode based around uh, some dumb idea that you have. Those are the best ones. The dumber the idea, the better. Honestly, <laughs> oh, makes man. for the best uh, the best stuff. Because then we have to stretch. We have to try and figure out what weird connective tissues there. And that's 
that's fun for this show. Uh, it's when we realized, that's when we realized what the show could be is like, oh, wait, we could theme all of these episodes. That would be good, actually. <laughs> um, so what are we starting off with here, Zach? Uh, you know, 80s toys. I'm thinking G.I. Joe. I'm thinking Transformers. No? Well, well, have you heard? <laughs> have you heard of a little Parker Brothers property known as Rom? Uh, yeah, Silver Dude kind of has like a red light in his head, uh, walks around with kind of a vacuum cleaner attachment, sucks up diorites. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> that's him. That's him. Rom was a space knight, uh, which means nothing. Uh, but it was... <laughs> <laughs> but he was, a, he was a toy that... I had no recollection of outside of comics. It's not the most well-remembered, though at one point uh, my dad saw a ROM comic, and he was like, I always wanted that toy as a kid. Mm. I remember it, and I wanted to have the ROM toy in the 1970s. I think it came out in 78, 79, and the toy was only around for a few years. I there's a non-zero chance that by 1981, when this comic came out, the toy was discontinued, and the comic would go on for another five years. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely one of those instances where the comic book series far outlasted the uh, the the licensed object that it was, you know, supposed to be supporting. And I think if anybody remembers Rom these days, it's because of the comic book series and not because of the weird, awkward electronic toy that Parker brothers put out in the late seventies. Yeah. Right. I, I no. have no recollection of ever seeing a ROM in a toy store. Like I, I, I would have remembered, you know, but I do remember the comic book and uh, you know, just flipping through the, the catalog of, of issues that came out, the X-Men are tied to this. I mean, we've talked about, rom adjacent stuff on the show before with the dire rates yeah and i think a lot of that comes down to the fact that chris claremont and bill mantlow were buddies and mantlow was the sort of driving creative visionary uh, that's lofty visionaries <laughs> given bill mantlow <laughs> a listen, lot listen that's carrying listen. a lot bill of mantlow <laughs> bill mantlow at this point in his life has had a lot of tragic stuff right. happen and i don't right. want to besmirch his name right Bill Mantlow in the 80s and 70s, there's a lot of stories about yeah, uh, well, that are that are very interesting. But he gave us Rocket Raccoon, so we got that did. going for us, he which did, is nice. Yeah. You think Bill Mantlow would be mad that he's remembered for Rocket Raccoon, a character he created as a lark and never went anywhere with, instead of being remembered for the, like, 100-issue run of ROM he did, or however long this thing ran? I don't think right. so. I, I think he'd I think probably he'd, I think still he'd be probably proud. Gets a kick at, yeah. 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 I was yeah, like, Ron... 75 issues plus four different annuals. Wow. Yeah, at least at least a few of which down at the end there, uh, drawn by none other than Steve Ditko. Wow. Yeah, really? the, the last, I don't know, at least the last maybe dozen issues or so. The whole big, like, Wraith War um, climax of the series and all that. I'm pretty sure that was, uh, that was Ditko when he came back, just before he Steve... created Squirrel Girl. Steve Ditko does draw the last issue of this. Yes. Well, we don't, (laughs) we don't have any art slack here. Um, You know, we're dealing with Rom uh, 17 and 18 and they're drawn by Sal Buscema. So, you know, this is, uh, this is pretty good art. I think, you know, for the, for the era, this is 1981. Yes, this is. So Sal Buscema is not my favorite. None of, Neither of the Buscemas are my favorite by any means, uh, but, like, this is 1981 Marvel art. It's pretty good. It's it's their house style at the time, right, but right. I like it. Yeah, it's I not, like It's Sal. not bad. It's just not my favorite. Yeah, I like Sal a little bit more when he's not inking himself. This is, this feels a little a little rough for what I'm used to with Sal, but... Um... Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it is. It's very... It is very Marvel 80s house style, and... There's yeah, nothing so, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a good fit for this particular story. Mm-hmm. So this right. is this is like we said, Bill Mantlo, Sal Buscema. Chris Claremont gets a credit on here as a consultant. 
uh, which I think is Chris Claremont's way of saying no one gets to write the X-Men without <laughs> me saying something about it because I've seen what happens and I don't like it. And I'm a bit of a control freak about this cash cow that I created. Uh, and I can appreciate some of that. But it's a story about Rom going to this farm in West Virginia uh, where there's a dire wraith uh, who are these shape-changing aliens that Rom fights. But this dire wraith just kind of wants to vibe. He had a family. <laughs> and oops a daisy uh, he had a son who was evil. It's the omen. And- <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and other diarists did come and told him, hey, you're this weird alien thing. You can control the world. And he said, okay, I'm a reality warper. I can do that. Uh, but he's also a mutant, so the X-Men show up. Uh, and they all have to fight Rom because they think Rom is, again, the problem that Rom always has. Mm-hmm. Diarists looks like people. Rom looks like a bad robot. <laughs> Classic Marvel misunderstanding fight. But they really have to fight the hybrid. This like yeah. big uh, B movie type looking purple thing, um, which is it the, always, the kid. It always feels rough when when your uh, your clever name, you know, whether it's your superhero super villain name, is also what you are. So the idea <laughs> is, very, you know, he's, very literal. he's a human diorate hybrid, and his name is Hybrid, and you're like, okay, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> Well, it's it's on the nose, that's for sure. Uh, so, tells you right what right there on the package tells you what he is. That's right. Yeah, it doesn't tell you that he's also a Franklin Richards, uh, mm. which is interesting. That there's another mutant uh, reality warper just kind of vibing out there. Yeah, he also um, seems really interested in sort of starting his own like really gross breeding program. Um, and as they fight, Kitty Pride uh, is being told that she's going to be the Eve in that situation, and it's it's very creepy. Yeah, not the not the last time weird, creepy sex stuff is going to happen with Kitty in this episode, but uh, it's uh, it's it's not great right off the bat. Where uh... yeah, here's the thing about Rom the Space Knight. Uh, <laughs> this is again a comic based on a failed toy for children. And it's got some weird stuff in it. <laughs> this is, like, I know that Bill Mantlo just, by, like, issue three, gave up all pretense that this was a tie-in to a toy. Because he saw the toys and he was like, oh, I could write a comic about this. <laughs> well, and just went. The, the ROM toy has no backstory to it whatsoever. No. Mm-hmm. Parker Brothers is just like, here's an electronic robot. Give us a comic book series. And Bill Mantlo's like, cracks his knuckles and gets to work. And that's everything that the whole concept of the Space Knight is purely from the comic book. It's We were talking about this before uh, we were recording. But the interesting thing about ROM is that Marvel ends up owning literally everything about Rom except for the design of the robot armor and the name Rom. Like, the man who is inside of the robot armor, mm-hmm. Ra- Rom, uh, he has shown up since. He just can't be in his armor. <laughs> well, and we know from recent issues of Cable that, uh, you know, the other... Space Knights of Galador Space Knights are can, still around. can be yep. around and be an, a, you know, an active concern. Um, I mean, Wraiths are around. Everyone's theoretically around. Theoretically, Hybrid could be running around on Krakoa somewhere. Uh-oh. You know, okay, okay. I want, I want to ask, <laughs> when do you think the last time Hybrid showed up was? Oh, that is a good question that I should have been prepared He shows to up again? Oh, that's yeah. Nice. Hybrid has a lot of appearances. Yes. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> he's just kind of a squishy purple thing really he's, he's yeah, a returning no, he character back and i do not remember what his last appearance was and i'm going to kick myself as soon as you say it zach his last appearance was in 2014 wow mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. in the christos or christopher yost marcus toe new warriors he has a uh he has an appearance he got he got put into uh, the Avengers Academy. Oh, Jesus. Uh, back yep. in the day. <laughs> yep. Is, yep. Is so he, he still was, a little he was part kid? of that. 
Or did he? Teen? Yeah, he's still he's a teen. Okay, he's a teen. He's a teen. Okay, he's going to adventure school. So yeah. even though he killed his father with a pitchfork, he still accepted into the academy. Listen, well, he's in I a mean... lot more Rom appearances, and I've not read all of Rom. It's very hard to read legally, and the illegal ones are just like I'm. I want better image quality than this. Right. Right. Yeah, Rom is one of those series that. Uh, well, Rom and Bill Mantlo in general, I feel like, had a bit of a renaissance in that in that late two thousands blogger boom. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, you know that that my site was shamelessly trying to get in on back in the day, because um, there was a lot of chatter in those corridors about Rom being this underrated gem and uh, Bill Mantlo being an underrated writer and trying to you know salvage his career from uh, you know from bloggers that were a little bit older than than uh, than you and I, Adam. But uh, the problem was always that, like you just if you wanted to read Rom, you had to go uh, you know bargain been diving to try to pull them out of quarter bins because you just they don't get reprinted anywhere i so hasbro owns rom now oh they have the ip for rom i've got to feel like them and marvel could be like listen y'all you ain't doing nothing with rom. if they right. could do an x-men right. themed transformer like let's get this going right Come i on, feel we're... like it wouldn't cost a lot <laughs> just like <laughs> Hey, give us the I, give us the IP for a flat fee. We'll put out some ROM collected editions. It's gonna be okay. Heck, let us just let us have the character back. You already have all the Marvel toy rights, right? Just, right. You can you can keep making ROM. We'll pay you a licensing thing, and it's not gonna be a lot of money, folks, because again, this is ROM Space Night we're talking about, and we already have all the other Space Night things we need. All we need is the word ROM. <laughs> three letters. We just want three letters in a specific order. <laughs> Three letters in a toaster suit. Yep. Uh, it is interesting. This is more... uh, it's, you know, who are the X-Men when they guest star in this era? You know, I think that's interesting because it's it's a, like a quintessential God Loves Man Kills lineup. Um, it's 1981. It's right after Phoenix Saga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we, we don't get a Cyclops here. Uh, we've, we've No, because he left the team. Right. So he's, he's on his sojourn. We've got Cyclops. I mean, we've got Storm, uh, Colossus, Nightcrawler, uh, Wolverine, and they always refer to Kitty Pride as Sprite here, which is just disconcerting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when she's in full, like, neophyte, brand new to the X Men, doesn't really know what she's doing, which just makes all of the hybrid wants to mate with her stuff Ugh. extra creepier because we're constantly being reminded of just how young and inexperienced she is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't care for that if I'm being if right. I'm being real. I don't I don't care for that. Uh So what it ends up being is this interesting artifact. Not good, not the worst thing we're going to see this episode. Uh <laughs> Something that's like, oh, I guess other, like, Chris Claremont wrote a million issues of X-Men. I guess they did appear in other comics sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's funny, It's funny too, Adam, because you talked about, you know, oh, are we going to look at G.I. Joe or Transformers? And the, the sad truth of it is that the good Marvel licensed properties didn't need X-Men guest appearances to boost right. their sales. So there are no good, you know, G.I. Joe X-Men crossovers or anything like that. It's... The X-Men get stuck showing up in these drags to try to goose numbers. Yeah, I was wondering about that because, you know, in in Transformers, they had one issue with a very short Spider-Man cameo. Right. You know, but X-Men never crossed over with them or or G.I. Joe or anything like that. Well, hold on. Hold on. Because you get one X-adjacent thing uh, with Transformers. You're talking about the Savage Lands? Yeah, I'm talking about the fact that all the Dinobots are actually from Savage Land. Yeah, well, yeah, that rules. I mean, that those early Transformer issues establish that you know with the Spider-Man guest spot in Savage Land, it, it in the takes place universe. in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Yep. But no um, X-Men because they did fine on their own. That's right. All right. We Turns should... out the Transformers were very popular. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, at least for a while there. Um, I mean, Adam, you say for a while. I have a two-year-old. Who was playing with a Transformer toy today? Oh, right. Of course, they have a, a legacy. I'm just saying, like at a certain point, the the series uh, sort of withered and it's gone up and down. Again, you, know you I mean? say that. There's a lot of Transformers comics in the last decade have been pretty good. Like the newest Zach, stuff. Zach, whatever. I'm talking about the past. 
It's not now. <laughs> it's the past. I just want everyone to know that they need to read The Lost Light in More Than Meets the Eye because they're incredibly good comic books and more people should read them uh, because we're never going to get to put them on our incredibly long list of every X-Men comic ever, of which we are on the road to 500 and we have 486 comics on this Woo! list. The number one comic on this list is The House of X, The Powers of Ten. Uh, the number 100 comic on this list is the Zeb Wells Rise, Fall and Rise of the New Mutants. The number 200 comic on this list is Phoenix Resurrection, The Return of Jean Grey. Number 300 on our list is X-Men 17 through 19, Skinning of Souls. Uh, number 400 on our list is Cyberforce X-Men. And the bottom <laughs> story is the Draco. All right. Uh, I think if we're being honest here, we're probably in the 300s, right? Yeah, at least. Yeah. It, okay, so I'm looking at Skinning of Souls. Okay. That's... Skinning of Souls is, like, about the same as this. Like, I feel like they're very comparable stories. Fighting Mostly it's because there's weird. weird reality warper guy. Yeah, yeah. Skating of the Souls is probably better. Yeah. I mean, it's not, like, great. But, like, down at 315, we've got X Campus. I think this ROM story is better than X Campus. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I don't... It's hard for me to put it ahead of, like, Extinction Agenda at 313, just because that has that, that good, good Jim Lee art, but... You know. It does. It also has the bad, bad everyone else art. I know. Mm, I'm gonna I side know. with Adam on this one. I got a soft spot for Extinction Agenda too. All y'all, all y'all old heads do. I know. Uh, I know. We well, are. I'm bringing, we are I'm bringing the heat of youth. There's a reason it's where <laughs> it is on the list. You know, like there's a reason it's there. Um, yeah, I have no problems with you. Know, 312. That's 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 fine. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, that Savage Wolverine story is the Joe Mad one, right? Uh, hands on a dead uh, body. Yes, ah. this is better than that Joe Mad. Yeah, story. I would agree. I would agree. If we're if if we're thinking about putting it ahead of Extinction Agenda, I don't know that it's better than that Children of the Atom story that's right above. No, we can put it behind Extinction Agenda. Right. I'll give you that. I don't go. care about Rom that much. Again, <laughs> like Austin said, it's really the old old head bloggers uh, that were like, "Oh yeah, Bill Mantlo is great." And yep. I mean, I'm not. I'm not gonna read 75 issues of Rom Space Knight and then what 40, 50 issues of the Micronauts to find <laughs> that out. That seems like a lot of work for characters I don't care about. Oh man! Well, at least Rom is just one character. Uh, unfortunately, the Micronauts are an entire team of characters that I have no idea what they are, and they're in a four-issue mini with the X-Men. Yes, this is the X-Men and the Micronauts. It's from 1984. Bill Mantlo and Chris Claremont co-write this with Jackson Geis on the pencils. Uh, Bob Wyachek, Rick Bryant, Kathy Orlando all do inks on this one. Kelly Jones does inks on one of the later issues as well. Uh, Can I tell you the weirdest thing to be introduced to a new team of characters is to see the cast at the top of the page and then realize they're floating around in space in, or the microverse, I guess, uh, in a human-shaped robot singing "Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen." <laughs> what? Well, you're talking about the Bioship. You're talking about the emotional crux of this miniseries, the right. Bioship. <laughs> Who's this? I have a mouth, and I will scream, "Spaceship Robot Man!" Oh my god! Yeah, and he's uh, he his toy was like it was one of those toys that you put your other toys in to carry them around nice um that was that was uh that was bioship's deal i i micronauts predated i'm an old but uh not as old as micronauts so this is not a toy line that i had any personal connection to i my my touch point for micronauts is that uh the line got canceled and some of the unused molds and designs got cobbled together with a different toy line in japan and gave us some of the early transformers oh mm -hmm. that's interesting if you ever wondered why some of your like early generation one transformers almost have like a thing that flips up and it's like a seat or a cockpit it's that's because why. that was an that was an old micronauts toy that was designed to have one of the little figures fit inside of it wow 
Yeah, every yeah, everybody here kind of looks like some other group, right? Like there's like <laughs> there's somebody that really looks like a Thundercat here. There's there's no design consistency no. between these characters <laughs> at all. Well, I mean, Baron Karza is basically just Darth Vader, right? Oh, he's he's it's 1984. He's a Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and this and Micronauts. Uh, uh, the the toys I think launched in like '76, and I'm not sure where Karza fits into that. But the comic came out in '79, so it was very clearly a like, let's tap into Star Wars. Yeah, uh, what we what we do know is that uh, the comic came out, and again, almost immediately outlasted the toy line. Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, fun fact. Uh, although the late 70s timing of the original Baron Karza toy figure appears as something of a Darth Vader knockoff, it was based on the mold of the Gonagagi super robot anime uh, Kotetsu Jag. Oh. Uh, so it was so stolen from just something a... else. <laughs> so there's three I things mean... that look like Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he just happens to look like Darth Vader. Oh man! Uh, well, and but it's instead it's just like Doom, an anime robot. Yeah, it's like Doom Patrol and X Men all over again. So the Micronauts are tiny. They live in the microverse. Were the toys yeah. tiny, or were they full yeah, size well, action figures? The toys were like three or four inches tall, mm. and then they had like vehicles and playsets and like bio ship <coughs> and stuff that they would fit into. But my understanding is the conceit of the Micronauts was that the toys were representative of the size of the characters. Right. It's like the notion that like they live in the microverse and all of that, that's from the toy line. That's not a Bill Mantlo thing. And so the idea was, you know, you have a Luke Skywalker action figure and you know that Luke Skywalker is actually much bigger than that. But if you have a Baron Karza action figure, that's how big Baron Karza is in this fiction. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest, that does not increase my immersion of these toys. That makes Dude. me less afraid of Baron Karza. You know what's right. even wilder right. is that Sam Guthrie straight up says that his sister owns Micronauts toys as part of this series. So yeah. not only are they Weird. real in the Marvel Universe, <laughs> but toys of the Micronauts exist. What? It's, it's a real so there's Fantastic Four comics kind of moment. Yeah, it's really strange. Um, so somebody break down the plot here, because this is basically onslaught, like alpha, beta, right? I mean, like, we're... this is the uh, this is the second stepping stone on the path to onslaught. So you yeah. had the you had the entity in X Men one oh six, which I think is the uh, I think Bill Mantlo actually wrote that one. Uh, that's the fill-in issue in the middle of the Phoenix saga. So, like, mm-hmm. 105, Fire Lord attacks Phoenix, and then the X-Men go through the Stargate. And then two months later, you get 106, where the X-Men battle the dark side of Professor X in a flashback, and you're like, where the hell is my Phoenix story? And then two <laughs> months after that, you finally get 107 and the great Star Jammers introduction and this gorgeous Dave Cockrum art and all this kind of stuff, which must have just blown chunks back in the 70s if you were a reader. <laughs> yeah, uh, wait, wait but four so, months. So you have the entity who's the dark side of Professor X, and then that shows up again here, and then, of course, the dark side of Professor X is what leads to Onslaught then in the in the 90s, so... This is um, also what leads to Cassandra Nova, and you feel like someone would just take like one page and be like, "Hey, look, all these were the same thing. This was all Cassandra Nova. Can we just can we just say that?" Right, right. Because she yeah. she's got the she's got the IP. Like, yes, she was she was onslaught. That would be better. Yeah, but you really just want to keep Professor X creepy, don't you? Uh, it, it, no. Literally, <laughs> here's the thing about Professor X. Here's the thing about Professor X. You take away this, and you take away Onslaught, mm-hmm. he still sucks a oh, ton. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's constantly being It's creepy. just he doesn't have three discrete evil sides. <laughs> <laughs> he's only got the one now, if you just make all that Cassandra Nova. Since, again, 
Well, I guess Onslaught probably has bigger name recognition, but yeah. Cassandra Nova has better quality mm. recognition. Well, yeah, that, yeah, that's the that's the catch there is Onslaught's it's a like, bigger name, but Cassandra Nova's been in better stories. Yeah, no one no one likes to be compared to Onslaught, I feel. Right. right. Yeah, probably not. Um, Onslaught does not appear in this story. We no. Have, the Micronauts are very boring, so I think we have lost track of... <laughs> well, but it, it is... This is also, strange, like, though? super densely plotted. Yeah, I was going to say, like, a ton happens in these four issues, and all of it's relatively meaningless. Um, but it is strange to me that it's very obvious if you have read issues where Professor X has gone onto the astral plane that he is the villain from mm-hmm. issue two. Like you right. see him in his astral plane armor, which we have seen in uncanny before. So there's no confusion whatsoever or surprise that professor X is the baddie here. Um, oh boy. Yeah. I mean, so much happens in these four issues. You know, they go to the microverse, they go back, the micronauts become the X-Men. Uh, the X-Men become, there's small. definitely some dense micronauts, like, important micronauts plot that happens here that i just was like oh these are these are nonsense goobly gawk words acro here i know you're very angsty about some things <laughs> i have no frame of reference for this i just know that you look cooler without your dumb hat yeah the three characters that are original to marvel are uh commander ron marionette and bug and the only reason that I know those names is because I know they are the three that Marvel created, you know, Bill Mantlo created for the series, and that Marvel owns outright. So much like with ROM, the vast majority of Micronauts isn't reprinted or available anywhere because Marvel doesn't own the rights to this stuff. But they can use Commander Ron, Marionette, and Bug. And I'm pretty sure all three show up in a Cable story not long after Onslaught. So... I have that to look forward Uh, to in my near future. (laughs) It's Cable 38. It's a Jeff Loeb in Churchill. Yep, yep, that would be right. um, I mean, a huge part of this story involves a Kitty Pride body swap um, with the aforementioned uh, Darth Vader copy. Um, Okay, hold on, because this is confusing to me. I I know because the story says that they swap bodies <laughs> and that you get Baron Karza doing weird being evil stuff in Kitty Pride's young teenage body. Kitty Pride does not do any shenanigans in Baron Karza's body. She plays that very straight. It's, I, I want to say the way it's written is very confusing. Like, you're expected to follow that they switched, but... Is it like part of them switched? It's very unclear. Is Karza still controlling Kitty? Like, I was like, I know what they're saying, and I'm going to be honest. I'm only paying so much attention to the weird Micronauts words here. But I feel like she should be able to, like, have more body swap control. And they're just not explaining it well. It's not great. No. No, it's really not. And there's a whole bit where, uh, 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 Xavier, well, the 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 entity, the it, you know the the dark side of Professor X is uh, uh, putting putting the moves on Kitty at one point. Now it's it's Karza in in Kitty's body, but he doesn't know that. And of course, it's it's you know oh it's Xavier's dark side that's that's you know putting the moves on Kitty, but that that's still in Xavier somewhere, and that's not a great look. Yeah, and that's and he he also does worse stuff that we're not going to get into the specifics of, uh, but on what's frankly an astonishingly weird and bad sequence in the fourth issue with Danny Moonstar, that yeah doesn't even come back up in the issue. It's just like it's Claremont doing. His very weird sex control stuff that he does that everyone kind of forgets about. Uh, but with a teenager and it's disgusting and bad and like one of the worst things I've ever seen in an X-Men comic. Much less the fact that it literally has no plot relevance. Like if he was going to do this bad and then like continue to build the story off making it this terrible choice of trying to tell this story. That'd be one thing. But it's literally just there. Yeah. It does, and there's nothing out of it. It's rough. Uh, yeah, it, it's basically what 
uh, uh, Empath does to Tom and Sharon, Tom Corsi and, and Sharon Freelander. Yep. We all, of course, we all remember those stalwart characters. Uh, or what? Or what that one character in Storm the Arena does to Storm? Yes, with yes. the the pleasure is actually painful now, or whatever. So it's Claremont clearly bad. has a thing about that. But at least yeah, this is exceptionally bad because it's this teenage student, and it's like just a toss-off thing that has no bearing on much of anything. And I mean, I don't know. That makes it sound like I'm saying I wanted more of it. Like it needed to be more no! involved with the plot, and I don't at all. It just shouldn't have been there at all. Is really what it shouldn't. Here. It shouldn't have been there. But if it's already going to be there, yeah, right. Like it doesn't even have a story reason for it. Like right. I can. Right understand a bad decision if you're like well i thought it was going to be relevant for the story i was telling but that's not even the case danny doesn't show up again in this freaking book no mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is yeah. wild that this is a four issue miniseries based on a crossover with children's toy license and there are <laughs> two really creepy sequences one of which is basically an assault uh yep uh, both with minors by professor x and what like why is this here um i mean it gets to Bob the Badansky should have like sat there and said nope no <laughs> right. don't do this i mean honestly i got to the point where the because and god bless butch guys i mean the the artwork is fine i i actually like the artwork i think it's great yeah there's times where it's very uh michael golden-esque yeah and golden of course mm-hmm. he was one of the original micronauts artists and brought a lot of of heat to the book back in the day because it was like, whoa, hey, Michael Gordon, Michael Golden is uh, doing this this regular series and it's it's great stuff. So, yeah, I like the artwork, um, but I got mm-hmm. to the point where, especially by the fourth issue, I just tuned out. I was like, yeah. I don't yeah. really care what's happening in this story. Oh, great, the Micronauts went back to the Microverse, and I guess we're forgiving Professor X. Okay, who cares? It was his evil side. Yeah, we forgive him for his evil side that he can't control all the time. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, did not like this. Yeah. So nope. this this is the one story of these three that I that I reviewed on my on my site back in the day, back in mm-hmm. the hallowed days of 2012. Hmm. Um, and I was I was not uh, terribly complimentary to it. Um, I I pointed out the weird sex stuff. Um, probably didn't give it the attention it deserved because I didn't feel like I could and didn't really want to dwell on it. Um, but I did end my review saying, uh, quote, not a complete waste of time. And I think I must have been in a good mood or something because I feel like I want to go back and revise that. Um, <laughs> it feel, it I, felt more like you were wasting your time this time. It felt more. Yes. Reading it again, I was like, no, this kind of is a complete waste of my time. Like, no one should read this. <laughs> I have had this in my hands at the dollar bin, like multiple times and thought, eh, I like weird X-Men stuff. I, maybe right. I'll buy. And every time I have put it back and now I'm very grateful that I have. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I'm in the same boat as you, Adam. It's one of those, like this was one of the Claremont stories that I just hadn't gotten around to. Right, right. And it's 84. It's Claremont Mantlo. It should be, it should have a baseline level of quality, but it is so much worse than anything else that was coming out in that era from, like, from the Claremont X-Men output. Uh, it just sucks. And we should rank it and then move <laughs> Quickly on with our forget lives, about I think. It. Yeah, so... That's our strategy for a lot of things. Why do you think the Draco's at the bottom of our list instead of some other stuff? Because we can laugh about the Draco. Right. So down at 373... Um, we have a Beyonder New Mutant story that we just reviewed, uh, Subway to Salvation. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like we're in similar. Subway to Salvation is better than this. I agree. I would agree. With that. I, would agree. I think we're, but we're in the right realm here. Um, here's what I'm going to say. Yeah. I want, I want to throw this out. Cyberforce X-Men that we talked about a few weeks ago. I'd rather read that again. That's another weird, dumb X-Men story. I'd rather read that. That has good art, too. Doesn't have weird, creepy Professor Xavier sex stuff in it. No, it just no, has it's characters got, it's, saying, yeah. hey, you're me from another universe because they stole you. Right? You're me. Like, it's so yes, clever. But I, I like that. 
I think that's nice. I, I think that I think the Star Trek X Men comics are better than this. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're see. talking like media licensed crossover tie-in stuff, I'd I'd, I'd back that. I think it's Is probably it better than Quest Probe. Yeah. Where's Quest, Quest Probe Probe's at here? 420. That's, that's 4, 460. Uh, yeah, it. <laughs> also, yes, Quest Probe is better than this. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that's got that cool set on the Bermuda Island story. You don't get very many of those. I don't know if you... this is as bad as X-Men Noir at 423 or Weapon X Noir at 424. Like, I, mm... I don't know if it's that bad. Is it Adam? I'm gonna I'm gonna appeal to your your specific. Why is Morlock's uh, Take Manhattan so low on this list? There we go. There we go. That's the question. That's exactly where Why I was does like, that happen? Adam's. We had a whole episode on it. I we know. remembered it's not very good. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of ugly. I know. Oh yeah. Yeah, well, I don't love that Tom Rainey art. I. It's all. It, it's also better than this. I think. I. If I'm looking at this. Onslaught is at 441. Mm. Here's my thought. Onslaught is probably on par of being dumb. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Onslaught is much longer. (laughs) Okay. Would 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 you rather read Onslaught or this again? I think... All right, let's look at what's right above that. It's um, what if X-Men Lost Inferno, which has that really terrible Mark Pasella art. This at least has Butch Geiss art. So, but, God. If I was going to put it somewhere, I would put it in between X-Men 5 and 7, 5 to 7, and what if 6. I actually think those X-Men issues are better than this. Oh no! I was saying that too. This this would be our new yeah. 440. This can be 440. All right. I'm I'm all right with that because again, yeah, people it's don't. Less at least shorter than onslaught. You don't need this. <laughs> no. Are there worse X Men stories? Yes. Are there stories ranked lower on this list that I would reread a lot more? Yes. In fact, yeah. the bottom story, the Draco is terrible. I think everyone should read it. I think it's the worst X-Men story that's existed. I think everyone should read it. Mm. This, I think no one should read, and it's also Yeah, I bad. mean, I would I would rather, if I'm going to read Dark Side Xavier stuff, I'd rather read Onslaught than this. There At least go. parts of Onslaught. <laughs> parts of Onslaught. We always forget just how long Onslaught is. Uh, it's so long. I do not forget. I am living it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I had to... I had I, I I got to trick friend of the show uh, Chris Edelman uh, to reading all of Onslaught for the uh, podcast, and he was not thrilled with me. Yeah, I love that you made. Chris uh, do I am. That. Uh, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but I am also finally reading Onslaught now. So um, I can't believe you've never read Onslaught. <laughs> well, see, I do. I'm good. just getting started, though. I'm like right. Like, I, I've read all of the lead-up to it, and now I'm in it, and it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I review, you know, one issue at a time, and I do three issue three reviews a week, because that's the most I can do without killing myself. And sure. when you loop in all of the, like, tie-ins and stuff, and I'm even grouping some of... Because there's a bunch of tie-ins where it's just like, Spider-Man fights a Sentinel. Here's another Spider-Man book. He fights a Sentinel again. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm doing those in sort of like a bulk post kind of thing. But, like, I mapped this stuff out. Onslaught is a solid, like, three and a half months oh, of reviews Love just it. to get through it all three at a time. Yeah, you, know, you get an oh, annual thrown in there that's, like, a break. You get an X-Men Unlimited issue that's a little breather, but it's just nonstop. What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> You're, you've committed to covering what am I doing? every weird corner of the X-Men universe, including toy properties that Marvel does fully own. Uh, <laughs> Such as? Like the saga of Crystar Crystal Warrior. Woo! Uh, we're going to talk about issue six of that uh, story, written by Mary Jo Duffy. Uh, Ricardo uh, Villamonte does the pencils. Dave Simmons does the inks. Um, so like I said, Marvel fully owns Chris Star. Hmm. 
they made a character in a world and said, yes, we can sell this as a toy. And the answer was, yeah, someone did take them up on that, unlike Brute Force. That's true. <laughs> there are actual Crystar toys, and they are, I believe, advertised in the Micronauts uh, mini. Yes. <laughs> yes, these came out These came out concurrently. Nice. Um, this is uh, basically a, an Excalibur Nightcrawler story, though. Like, it's, yeah. as much as it mm-hmm. is claiming to be this uh, separate thing, like, this bears a strong resemblance to Nightcrawler stories where he just ends up in a, you know, a John Carter from Mars kind of situation and he has to get himself out. So it starts out with him being horny with his girlfriend's <laughs> sister, Amanda Sefton. Oh, yeah, yeah they, they conveniently leave out the sister part of it. Was that part of the continuity <laughs> nev- at this point, though? When it does was. That- Adam, that's when she... definitely yes. was. All right, all right. Adam, yeah. she, like, appears, and then you find out that she's a magical demon girl right. in... Uh, King Size Annual number four, uh, which also introduces uh, Mar- Margold uh, Sardas, mm-hmm. uh, and she makes Nightcrawler do a Dante's Inferno. I remember that, but we get and we then know she's Aman- a Amanda's then. like, "Hey, yes, I'm your sister." Oh, weird. And then they're like, "Yay, we love each other. We're adopted. <laughs> it's fine." Oh, okay. It's a royal like, Tannenbaum I- situation. Right, and you're it's like, I mean, fine. I guess legally, technically, sure, but it's still kind of weird. Oh, it gets it's weird in this weird. book. It gets they were real raised weird. together in the same home, <laughs> and much. It's like, what did that add, Chris Claremont? Like, what did that bring to their relationship that it was worth that sort of like? Every Why time couldn't she have just on. been another girl at the circus? Right? Like, he could have been they raised were... in the circus. They didn't have to be, like, adopted brother and sister. Love it so much. Wait till we wait till we get to talk about the X2 X-Men United uh, X-Men Cinematic Universe version of this relationship. Because it's <laughs> an even more beautiful twist on top of it. So do I have this right? The Crystar universe, we have two groups of people, right? We've got our good guys and our bad guys. They used to be, like, one people... But now they're the crystal people versus the magma people, or the magma men, right? The the crystal warriors and the magma yep. men. Okay, yep. cool, cool, cool. And they just can't they yeah. they can't get along. Like there's there's palace well, intrigue. There is, I have learned mm. uh, as I have been researching uh, uh, the crystallium. <laughs> Tell me more. There is there is one guy, uh, and he is Crystar and Moltar. Uh, who are the princes of the Crystillium and the Magma Men? Hmm. Uh, they have their uncle, Lord Feldspar. He's half, who is half crystal, half yeah. He's half crystal, half magma, uh, and he has sided with the forces of chaos, while Crystar uh, and the Crystal Warriors sided with the forces of order, and uh, eventually he became a neutral in their war, and then he just let them fight, I guess. They were, like, looking at He-Man and being like, sure, whatever. I was going to say, if this sounds like a warmed-over He-Man setup, that's exactly what Marvel wanted you to think back in the mid-'80s when you were deciding whether to purchase any of this. (laughs) They were like, listen, we've got these generic He-Man molds. We've got these Rock Lord molds. We're going to make this happen. (laughs) So Nightcrawler uh, gets spotted by the good guys. They think he's a demon. Then he goes to Fair. the bad guys. They think that he's a spy. And I guess he saves the day somehow. Brings It's a it's a Nightcrawler goes to an alternate universe story. Yeah. He does yeah. good swashbuckling fun. Yeah. And yeah. then he's I, like, peace. I wrote down it's a poor man's Nightcrawler miniseries. <laughs> it's not nearly as fun. Like No, I, it's it's a poor man's version of that. Like it's not four issues, it's not as much fun. It doesn't do the same kind of interesting things but it's the basic premise of like nightcrawler shows up in a weird place does some swashbuckling stuff then he goes home yeah i think it's weird as an issue of the saga of chris star crystal warrior mm-hmm. because i don't have any feeling that the crystallium is anything but a waypoint for nightcrawler mm-hmm. to do a story here mm-hmm. whereas if i was real into you know what Chris Star and Ika and Koth and their whole deal was, I'd be pretty upset. Like, this guy's just getting in the way here. Uh, you do get a beautiful moment 
uh, where Nightcrawler, being on a, a fun fantasy adventure, uh, becomes very romantic <laughs> in a playful and nice way with uh, one of the uh, one of the people in the Crystillium. And then she gives him a necklace, and Amanda Sefton immediately points it out. She's like, oh, that hussy. Nightcrawler, why were you flirting with her? That page is the most interesting thing in the book because, you know, out of nowhere, this character from, from uh, Kristar is like, hey, you're handsome. Well, I, mean, I, I need to show you my gratitude. Um, and then he beams back. Now, keep in mind that he beamed out on mid-date with Amanda Sefton comes back and she's basically like, Oh, you hooked up with somebody in a parallel universe. This will be interesting. Like what? Why is that your reaction? Adam, don't kink shame. Don't kink shame. It's... They've got, they've got the whole thing going <laughs> and it's fascinating. We're just going to let them be in the relationship that they're in. Obviously they do not conform to our, you know, norms, societal norms. And that's, you know what? Them live their truth. I just I'm, said it he's was already fascinating. a demon man. I'm not judging. It's just it is fascinating. fascinating. <laughs> it is their relationship is incredibly fascinating. In a, in a, and I wish Marvel would stop being cowards and just be like, "Yeah, he's dating his sister. We don't know what to tell you." <laughs> just how they it, have guys. an active, they have an active and ongoing relationship it's called they, the Way of X. You know, you know? <laughs> listen, it's like. They don't want to go on double dates with Fenris, but oh, sometimes, stop. Stop. sometimes you have to be with your people. I mean, I love this. I love Isn't... Amanda Sefton so much. She should be in Doctor Strange comics or something. She should she be, used be more. A good she really should girl. be used more often. Yeah. Oh, the other boy. thing, uh, the other thing, this issue being the the third of the three really struck home is just how much uh, the Danger Room and Cerebro are tools of guest appearances far more than they ever get used in the actual X-Men comics. Because mm, every, yes. every one of these stories involved a danger room sequence of some kind. And a couple of them involved Cerebro. And it's like, it's just the easy entry point for like showing off everyone's powers. And, you know, Cerebro barely gets used in most X-Men stories. But if they're guest appearing somewhere, it's going to show up. Oh, that's that's how they get into any guest appearance. They're like, "Hey, Cerebro has a new mutant," and they're like, okay, "Sure, yeah, why not? Fine, uh, we'll go be in this weird issue of Ghost Rider. It's okay. We'll I go liked... be in this knockoff He-Man story. Yeah, I I didn't hate hate the artwork. I, I like the cover it's a not lot. Bad. I, you know, I love I yeah, love my cover. So uh, you know, it's not this, terrible, this, but it's just bland. This yeah, this isn't a bad comic it's like i read this the first time as a dollar bin find mm -hmm. like i was flipping through i saw this cover with nightcrawler that i'd never seen before and in a dollar bin it's actually fairly striking because it's obviously an early 80s cover mm -hmm. but it's like a big green background with nightcrawler bamfing into it with a little sparkles like it would be it would be rote to do this again in 2021 but, like, when you're going through Bronze Age Marvel, it's like, oh, this stands out. So right. I picked it up, and I was like, oh, yeah, you, oh, not, this is Discount Day, so this is, what, a nickel comic? Yes, <laughs> thank you. I was so happy reading it then. I was like, oh, this was a great find. I'm happy about it. It is definitely <laughs> worth a nickel. That's the right way to approach this comic is to have very low expectations and just be like, that was weird. Yeah. I agree. Um, do we like this more or less than the Rom story at 314? I'm hearing the gears spinning here. Yeah. it It's not that much better, but it's not that much worse either. It's like, it's like right there. Because a couple spots up from that is uh, like Spider-Man versus Wolverine, which is probably better. Storm... Volume 3, number 3, Life Death 3. Probably better than this. Uh, but this is better than, like, X Campus or Bishop's Crossing. Eh, it's not better than Bishop's Crossing. I don't know what I'm saying. It's better than Girls' School from <laughs> Heck at 322. Um, Let's see. It's definitely. I think it's better than that Gambit arc that we have at 321. Uh, Tombstone Blues. Tombstone Blues. Um, but we're, we're in the right realm. 
Uh, you know what? I can actually see squeezing it here in between uh, X Campus and the uh, Savage Wolverine 12 and 13. Come Conquer the Beasts. Come Conquer the Beasts. What do you think about that? I'm fine with that. Make it our 317. All right. Beautiful. <sighs> Love it. That's a lot of weird stuff. Very weird stuff. I uh, <laughs> can't recommend all of it, but definitely worth... Um, I think tracking down the ROM and the Crystar thing might be worth worth it, but avoid the Micronauts stuff. Good God. Yeah, maybe don't read Micronauts. Uh, and but, what, yeah. uh, that... And it's it's funny, too, because you could... They, Marvel could reprint Saga of Crystar, but they don't. <laughs> no one's begging for they, that. <laughs> Here's the thing. Back back in Secret Wars time, they did Weird World, which pulled a lot of the aesthetics yeah. of Crystar in the Crystal uh, I think Kingdom. It popped up in that briefly, or, or they referenced it indirectly or something. It got a nod in that Weird World Secret Wars thing, the, I remember. The Magma Men were there. Crystal People were there. I don't know if Crystar proper right, was in right. that. Because yeah. that originally starred, what, Archon from... <laughs> The uh, from, from that one from, clear, the first from every angle. every story where his planet's energy rings are depleted and he has to kidnap a female superhero to be his bride. <laughs> yep, that one. But at least he left uh, his lightning had... bolts for Cyclops to use in Asgard Wars. Yeah, you know, Jeez. which is why it's weird how the annuals there. have their own continuity. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> uh, I actually really loved that Weird, Weird World series. Uh, Jason Aaron wrote it, and I'm hot or cold on Jason Aaron. I think Jason Aaron does his best work when he's writing Barbarians because I like his Conan, and I like his uh, Thor God of Thunder, especially the young Thor stuff, and I liked Weird World. I also had Mike Del Mundo art, and it was gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. Can't go wrong with that. <sighs> so we're done with this? Yeah, ranking? I, I think we've uh, finished shopping at uh, you know the local toy store. I think we're good. Well, I'm I'm glad <laughs> no I'm glad that Kmart would have us. Uh, <laughs> but I do want to thank uh, April Arcus. April went on over to Patreon.com/slash/ComicsXF threw some money our way uh, and made the, made this episode happen. If you want to be like April again, ComicsXF, uh, it's on Patreon, or just go to the website ComicsXF.com and there's a bunch of buttons that say support us. Please give us money. We're dying without you. Uh, if not, we'll have to do toys based on me, and we don't want that. Uh, <laughs> Also on Twitter at ComicsXF. Uh, Adam, what do you got going on? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy And uh, Austin, where can people find you and your delightful stuff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Austin Gorton. Uh, I'm currently tweeting out a Marvel trading card a day. Uh, I'm loving a, that, by the way. It's great. Enough to do already, but it's a fun little exercise. Thank you. That's, <laughs> appreciate that. Uh, and then, of course, you can read uh, all of my X-Men reviews at therealgentlemanofleisure.com. Uh, if you're in the mood for some better licensed fiction written by Joe Duffy, uh, I have also reviewed every issue of Marvel's original Star Wars series uh, over there as part of my Force and Focus uh, column. Uh, so that's that's an example of some decent licensed stories. Uh, and then, of course, Comics XF. Uh, I'm on the Hellions beat there with Liz Large and uh, uh, write some other stuff there as well. So be sure to check that out, too. Very oh, and cool. I have a podcast. It's... I should mention I should mention my podcast. Uh, a very special a very special episode is the name of our podcast. We review very <laughs> special episodes of TV. So, you know, like the one where Nancy Reagan is on different strokes to tell kids that drugs are bad or uh, when uh, Mr. Belvedere's kid that he's the butler to goes to summer camp and has a handsy summer camp counselor and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, it runs it runs the gamut from, uh, you know, serious stuff to really ridiculous stuff. Um but, uh, what about we, the one with the one orphan girl who got caught in a refrigerator box? Is that is that one one you've covered? That is Punky Brewster, uh, and yes, it is where her friend Cherry gets stuck in a refrigerator, and that is the the third episode of our show that we did when we launched the show. Each of our uh, there was there's four of us at the time. Uh, we each picked an episode. Uh, to kick off like our first introductory episode and that was mine that i picked because i saw that episode as a kid and it has instilled a deep abiding fear of refrigerators oh, yeah. in me to this day 
That was like a huge I was, thing. They're gonna like reach out and grab me and pull me into the fridge, and I won't be able to get out. Yep. As our resident refrigeration expert over on Comics XF, you should be afraid of refrigerators <laughs> uh, and all things related to your HVAC and ventilation system. <laughs> Terrifying. I guess the so, vac yes, in uh, ventilation is. Yep. Yep. Sherry Lifesaver um, is one of the episodes we covered. Nice. All right. So, uh, Zach, what do we got cooking? What's going on next week? Well, next week I'm very afraid, Adam, because I believe there's going to be a schism coming between you and I. Again? Again. (laughs) We've been doing this for almost 200 episodes at this point. We're going to be repeating some of the same beats. (laughs) I I don't want to. I don't want to. Too bad. I don't know what to tell you. All right. right, right, I have another schism. Schism. Uh, But it'll... It'll be a good time. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, I want to say, Austin, thank you so much again for being on. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Uh, real fun and very uh, very excited to continue to work with you uh, over in the ComicsXF sphere. Right right back at you guys. It was uh, it was a total blast being here. I had, I had a lot of fun. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, ha- happy to be here. Glad, glad you had me. Thanks, Austin. Well, until then. This has been Battle of the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience.